Hi, wherever you're listening to me, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakali, and this is today's tech briefing. In this program, um, and what it does essentially, and what we built out is the ability to take these IC engine. Uh, uh, competition head on in that the electric motorcycle can outcompete them in terms of pure acceleration, top speed, all of the usual parameters that uh, is used to evaluate uh, motorcycles, sports motorcycles. That's after these headlines. Byju's, an edtech company and India's most valuable startup, is acquiring Tinker, a coding platform for children in the US to accelerate its expansion in America, the company said in a press release yesterday. Tinker's creative coding platform has been used by over 60 million children and 100,000 schools in 150 countries. Over the last year and a half, Byju's has acquired two additional edtech companies in the US, Osmo, an award-winning playful learning system for creating healthy screen time experiences, and Epic, an online digital reading platform. All three acquisitions are in line with Baiju's goal of investing $1 billion in the US ed tech market over the next three years, the company said in its press release. Andreessen Horowitz, one of Silicon Valley's best-known venture capital firms, is in talks to invest in CoinSwitchCubert, a cryptocurrency platform for retail traders, TechCrunch reported. US crypto company Coinbase may also invest in the Bangalore startup. A deal could be announced as early as next month, according to Economic Times, signaling how bullish investors are about India's crypto startups, even though the government is yet to make its stance clear. If the deal goes through, it will be the first investment by A16Z, as it is popularly known, in an Indian startup. It will also be CoinSwitch's third funding round this year, turning it into a unicorn with a valuation of about $1.9 billion, according to TechCrunch. Canva the Australian startup, whose user-friendly design software is all the rage, has raised $200 million at a $40 billion valuation, making it the world's fifth most valuable startup, ahead of Instacart and behind Klarna. Morning Brew reports, Canva will use the new funding to double its 2,000-person staff over the next year and expand into web design and video editing tools. Canva, which launched in 2013 with a free service, started out as a design platform for small businesses. Today, it has more than 60 million monthly active users in 190 countries and enterprise customers including Salesforce, Marriott and PayPal. Two of the company's founders, CEO Melanie Perkins and COO Cliff Obrecht, have also pledged to donate most of their combined 36% stake in the company to charity. Microsoft Office long-term servicing channel for Windows and Mac OS, which is the company's non-cloud version, is now available, the company said yesterday in a post. Office LTSC is designed for specific scenarios, such as regulated devices that cannot accept feature updates, process control devices on the manufacturing floor, and specialty systems that cannot connect to the internet. To meet this need, Office LTSC will provide a locked-in-time version of familiar productivity tools. While it offers performance improvements and expanded accessibility, it will not offer the cloud-based capabilities of Microsoft 365 apps like real-time collaboration and AI-driven automation in Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, as well as security and compliance capabilities that give added confidence in a hybrid world, Microsoft said. Now, as you know, electric scooters are poised to become mainstream in India, with several companies bringing products to the market. One startup in Bangalore, however, has chosen to build an all-electric performance bike 
that it says will hold its own against the 250cc IC motorcycles. I spoke to Narayan Subramanyam and Neeraj Rajmohan, co-founders of Ultraviolet Automotive, about their F77 electric motorcycle that is expected to be out in the market in about six months. Here's more. Okay, uh, Narayan, uh, Neeraj, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. Uh, I guess uh, folks who follow uh, EVs as well as uh, performance bikes would already know about your work. Uh, but for people who are not familiar about uh, Ultraviolet, uh, perhaps you could start with giving us a snapshot uh, of uh, your work, uh, where you are at today. What did you start your company with? What did you want to do? When did you start it? And uh, we can go from there. Um, so Neeraj and I go back a long way. We've uh, known each other since school, worked on several projects during our days at university as well. I think one thing that we share in common is our passion for cross-functional innovation and value add through creative implementations of technology to provide new experiences for different use cases. Yeah, and uh, this is Neeraj here. And so we, Narayan and I actually are come from, you know, complementary background. So Narayan comes very strongly from mechanical engineering, automotive design side. Um, my formal education has been more on computer science, electronics, you know, and product management. And uh, 2015 was when we started discussing and 2016 is where ultraviolet was actually established. Um, what we sought you know, as coming together was various factors. Uh, one was, of course, the lithium-ion battery prices, you know, dropping all the way from $1,000 per kilowatt hour to anywhere $250, $300 per kilowatt hour. And we had seen the success of Tesla also, right? From um, the initial sort of skepticism to the point where the Model S was introduced and it's starting to gain acceptance mainstream. What we realized was EVs are going to happen, right? There was some question about when they would happen, when would they impact different sectors? But it was no longer a question of, is it going to be electric electric vehicles, right? That question was getting answered in some parts of the world. And from there, it was sort of the next stage. What we went through in 2016 was trying to identify which segments do we want to get into and things like that. See, and, and the way we were looking at the space and how we wanted to position ourselves very differently compared to the uh, other companies was more on the technology side, right? So today we would describe ourselves as a high technology company in the mobility space. And of course, there are multiple reasons as to why we are starting out um, with a product like the F77, which is more on the uh, performance side of the spectrum. Um, I think one, one of the reasons there was that, you know, we wanted to create scalable and differentiated technology. What we saw happening was uh, specific to the lower powered vehicles, scooters, etc. Uh, the technology was starting to get commoditized. So for us, it was important to build uh, robustness and IP on the powertrain, the batteries, the drivetrain, these, these, and the connected technology on the vehicle as well. And this today is where a lot of our IP lies across. And uh, it's taken about four, four and a half years of um, R&D. So today the team is about uh, 70 very talented, skilled people across three domains automotive, aerospace, and consumer electronics. I think every sort of um, component uh, level design, as well as larger calls on designing safety protocol systems, testing standards for the vehicles, is sort of a con convergence of these three domains coming together. So, I mean, that's how we've gone about it. Um, that was a quick overview on, um, you know, where we started from, um, what we started, I mean, trying to build out. 
and i think this is just the tip of the iceberg and a lot of ideas plans in place but the f77 is going to be the most pivotal most important um product from the company mm. tell us about the, this bike i mean you unveiled it uh, sometime last year uh, close to commercial prototype uh, tell us about it a bit sure so um, what you see on the screen and which is the same vehicle that we're talking about um, is the f77 which is um, you know intended to compete with the ic engine motorcycles in a 300 to 500 cc category right um, and what it does essentially and what we built out is the ability to take these ic engine uh, uh, competition head on in that the electric motorcycle can outcompete them in terms of your acceleration top speed all of the usual parameters that uh, is used to evaluate uh, motorcycles sports motorcycles um, on but, those but going beyond the performance there's a whole host of um, sort of features we are planning right from you know diagnostics on the vehicle to a very differentiated service experience from a consumer ownership standpoint a lot of things where we see um, innovation and disruption happening from outside so we unveiled these vehicles for the first time uh, just prior to the pandemic um, and uh, sort of what we saw happen since then is that we have gone through numerous improvements uh, the time that we spent through the pandemic we sort of realized that there are, there are going to be challenges in terms of manufacturing and all of that so we used that opportunity to you know uh, actually spend time and get what would have been on the second version of the vehicle uh, on the commercial vehicle into the uh, same uh, um you know the launch vehicle itself and that's what we've been working on over the last year i mean a lot of things were affected by the i mean pandemic but we had to work through uh, situations of working from home plus returning to office and um on the positive side right our entire team and their families have been uh, um provided both doses of the vaccine so there is some more comfort in you know um <laughs> building hardware and software together out of a common shared workplace and like neeraj mentioned uh, there's been a lot of um, upgrades that have happened specifically on the battery and the onboard electronics over the past year which i think we've successfully leapfrogged an entire generation of updates that was planned for later which will roll out in the production version of the motorcycle mm. give us a sense of uh, some of the most important uh, noteworthy features uh, of this bike you already mentioned in terms of diagnostics in terms of the end customer experience you've uh, brought in various innovations uh, tell us about that a bit sure sure so i think the most important aspect about what we're doing is that since it's a completely you know uh, solid state driven electric vehicle the ability to account for every unit of electricity from the point of you know where it is derived from your wall socket or your charger all the way to how the energy is delivered uh, to the wheel of the vehicle in terms of mechanical energy uh, there is accountability and tracking for every aspect of it so we even know down to a level of is a single led on one of the headlamps or the indicators is there a problem in its functioning or is it operating within nominal limits right so the ability to track all of this sort of data and to summarize it and sort of evaluate and say that you know what i can actually trace a problem before the end consumer actually even feels a change on their vehicle right so this is drastic drastically going to change and transform the whole service and after sales experience which um i mean is not yet very evident when it comes to electric vehicles because we just at that starting phase but what is going to happen is from at least from ultraviolet's perspective the entire 
ownership experience is going to be and the relationship with the company like ultraviolet from a consumer perspective the way it's going to be driven is that it will be proactive from ultraviolet side it's not going to be you know similar to ic engines where if you have to service your vehicle you go to the service center on you know some particular day early in the morning and then you describe your problems to them right and then they're taking notes and you're hoping that you've covered all the problems the way that this is going to play out in in specific to ultraviolet is that you know we would know problems that are going to happen if there are any uh, before you even sort of as a rider as a consumer uh, face any noticeable degradation in any sort of performance yes and we will come to you saying that look listen look looks like this is an issue that may come up uh, we want to proactively sort of schedule this change or this upgrade or um, this change and let's book a time and slot and let's come to you and we'll sort of figure this out so this is going to be a drastic change in one of this is just one of the features but i'm giving you a sense of how this is going to play out right um on the other extreme end right when you talk about functional parameters in terms of performance things like that there is going to be a level of control which has never been seen um on uh, ic engine motorcycles so one of the things that we sort of learned through our experience with professional riders and all of that is that the whole biking whether it's a race track or whether it's in the city um you have this level of uh, optimization that can happen to make it a fun ride wherever you are right you have regenerative braking it's very unlike anything else on an ic engine where you're actually recovering energy so you could be using that at corners or you know in traffic stop and go traffic or in cornering on a track and all of that is configurable and can be customized to your lifestyle the way you ride a bike things like that so these are some of the more advanced uh, features that are part of the bike and and i think from a motorcycle perspective we have um, tried to maintain very very similar dynamics to what the best ic engine vehicles out there have right so whether it's on a track or in traffic you should not feel like you're driving a very different i mean handling machine so that is something we have successfully got uh, got right and like neeraj mentioned it's a whole host of um, other features that we've sort of planned uh, over that mm. in terms of some of the common questions that your you know consumers would ask when they walk into an ultraviolet uh, showroom eventually uh tell us a bit about you know the range the speeds that this bike will offer uh and some of the other uh, parameters so so i think the um uh, the one question that we get asked quite often is about the sound mm-hmm. right is is there's a very silent experience i'm i'm used to the thump of an ic engine um but i think riding i mean you have to ride it to understand how it feels it is it is a very different high frequency um, sort of sound output which is closer to an aircraft turbine so it is not silent uh, from that perspective it's it's got a very unique identity from the uh, sound perspective and this is something that you know goes very well with our whole aviation theme and design process as well that there's so much in influence and uh, inspiration from the aviation industry right from the honesty of the design to the safety protocols in place to how the bike feels and so going with the sound the other aspect is there's no vibrations on the bike similar to what you face on a typical ic engine bike so it's almost a feeling of gliding with unlimited power i mean that's the closest that we could describe it over a call um but coming to the other questions right you're right uh, pickup range i think these are some of the typical questions asked i think other questions are around charging as well 
So today, um, just yeah, picking on each of these questions, right? So our motorcycles come with a minimum range of 150 kilometers. Um, and what is also interesting is beyond just the you know range aspect is the performance aspect, which is the acceleration. So in IC engines, there is a sort of peak power that is available in certain RPM ranges. That's how engines are designed. Those are the constraints of an engine, right? But in an electric vehicle, um, and specifically the ultraviolet F77, the power and the you know the torque is available from zero RPM all the way to your high end spectrum of the uh, RPM range, which means that once you sort of twist the throttle, you're going to get a continuous flow of acceleration, continuous torque all the way. And it's kind of like a, a sitting on a rocket in some sense, because <laughs> it's sort of endless torque, right? And again, this is another thing that uh, sort of becomes very evident only in a test drive, right, for consumers. See, and on an IC engine vehicle, um, whatever the pickup that is advertised, you need to be an expert rider and know what is the exact RPM band when I shift from 1 to 2, 2 to 3 to get that optimal pickup. But here, I mean, whether you're, I mean, regardless of your experience on motorcycles, this is what is available to you from the get-go. Yeah, and coming to the entire charging experience, right? So we've mapped out and understood what the requirements are from the consumer perspective. And the, it is largely around two things, having su sufficient range to, you know, cover uh, most use cases and also the ability to, you know, have quick recharges uh, on the go. And on that front, the way that we built the technology is a combination of, you know, providing battery capacity as well as being able having the ability to charge on the go. So today we have an onboard charger on the vehicle. We have a portable fast charger, which can be carried in a backpack. It is intended to uh, sit in, you know, to uh, occupy the space of, you know, one third of a backpack and the ability to also uh, support standardized EV charging standards, right? So we see new standards come about and all of these are different ways to address the same uh, sort of uh, uh, range expectation and range requirement. And we cover all of these uh, in different sets. In fact, the first onboard charger that you see there is can work with the most basic plug point available, which is a five amp socket, which is what, you know, we typically use for our laptops and things like that. Are so, so fundamentally, we've sort of negated the need for a large hardware installation at your premises. Just a five or a 15 amp socket is all you need um, to start using the vehicle. Hmm. And you have raised some funding, uh, I think, and you're also looking to uh, raise additional funding and uh, you're now building your factory. Uh, can you give us an update right. on that? So, so we'll touch upon both aspects. See, this whole, um, on the funding side, right, it's a capital intensive um, sort of endeavor that we are on. So these are constant conversations that we keep having with multiple entities uh, across the globe. Um, I think right now there are, I mean, what we are in conversations with, or maybe we haven't touched upon this, is the fact that we have designed the vehicle to scale globally, right? A lot of the decisions that we took four years back was to, you know, make, I mean, make sure the tech is compliant with uh, markets, including US, uh, Europe as well. So coming back to the funding aspect, I think more than just financially, we are also looking for, uh, or in conversations with entities to uh, partner on a global scaling perspective. Right. And when when it comes to funding, right, the way we look at it actually is um, we are well capitalized for a India a sort of uh, uh, commercialization of these vehicles. What is in talks and what is happening right now is for a global scale or rather global scaling and that is part of our CDC requirement. 
right? So uh, these are conversations that are always going to keep happening um, over the next couple of years. I think, um, but what we want to sort of, I, you know, what we like to focus on is the product, the product innovation and, you know, the sustainability of the model. And that's what we spend most of our time on. And uh, the fundraise is just, you know, one of those things that happen along the way. And I think your, your next question was on the uh, production setup. Yeah, on that front. So what we have established today um, is that so far we were manufacturing our vehicles based out of our R&D facility. And these were, you know, this can happen at the scale of, you know, tens of units. What we are talking about now is a facility that can scale to hundreds and thousands of units. This is our R&D uh, sort of center. And the ground floor here is our basic prototyping and assembly facility. Uh, the various floors are designed for various other activities. And now we've taken the sort of assembly manufacturing out of this. And we're setting up an uh, entirely new uh, space for, you know, uh, our India scale uh, plans and for our global scale plans as well. In the first year, we're going to be sort of limiting our production to about 15,000 units annually. Uh, this is on for several reasons. Um, one, one of them being, you know, to optimize the entire supply chain, right? There are over 150 supplier partners whom we work with and, you know, um, working with them to establish the inventory, the lines, um, to establish the schedules, all of and, these things. And we're looking at a certain amount of innovation on the production side as well. Um, I mean, which is what we want to sort of perfect over the first, say, uh, two quarters and then start ramping up our production. Yeah, so that's what we're going through right now. And the facility that we've taken up is very close to Electronic City um, in Bangalore itself. And this location was chosen for multiple reasons. Um, one of them being that, you know, proximity to all of the partner suppliers. And the second is also, you know, proximity to uh, our office R&D so that, you know, a lot of back and forth can happen. Uh, and on top of that, you know, the availability of uh, different types of uh, skilled um, uh, employees and uh, also, you know, resources that are required for um, an assembly facility. So multiple reasons went into that. But essentially what the facility is about 70,000 square feet. And we have the capability to scale to about 120, 130,000 units annually. But in the first year, we're going to be producing about 15,000 units. When do you expect uh, to roll out your first bike that will go into the market? So we expect that by March of 22 is where, you know, the first commercial units will be available in the in in, uh, in various uh, uh, forms. Like, for example, we are also planning out a multi-city rollout. So uh, more details on that will become public later. But the point here is that commercial availability is expected to start in March. Mm. The, the few reports uh, that I tried to read uh, in terms of homework ahead of talking to you, uh, talk about a uh, you know, price range of about 300,000 rupees. Is that uh, reasonably accurate? Yes. I think it's yes. in that ballpark. Yes, yes. Now, there are certain regional specific aspects on the taxes and things like that. So there, there would be benefits from different governments. So we would, uh, the actual on-road price would be in that same neighborhood. But yes, that is the number that we publicly announced. See, I think some more context there, when we started, um, what, what we realized was, you know, the total cost of ownership over three to five years definitely matters for a consumer. But the purchasing decision relies quite heavily on the upfront cost as well. Now, we gave that as a problem statement to ourselves where, I mean, this was back in 2016. We had a forecast of, you know, where these premium performance uh, sort of products and brands would be at closer to 2020 and sort of work backwards from there from a bill of materials perspective. 
because both have to make sense. You can't be 2x, 3x of a comparable IC engine vehicle and claim that over five years you are going to break even or benefit. What we are putting out there is like of tremendous value. At, at the get-go, you are close to price parity or almost at price parity. And over three to five years, you're wrong. Recovery of, you know, using electric versus IC engine is tremendous. That goes over a lakh rupees over your first four years of owning the vehicle. Okay, excellent. Uh, in interest of time, we'll have to leave this conversation here. Uh, thank you so much, sure. Narayan uh, Neeraj, uh, for making time for this again. And I hope to keep the conversation going. Our pleasure, our pleasure talking to you. That was Narayan Subramanyam and Neeraj Rajmohan. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.